Co-Fi members, and welcome to another DM Dave's Deep Dive. I, of course, am DM Dave, and we're going to be talking about chapters 14, 15, and 16. So, without further ado, let's dive in. So, kind of planning for 14, 15, and 16. I was had to come up with an idea on what's going on in Glendale, honestly, um, because... As I mentioned in the previous deep dive, I thought they were going to go to Avalon, right? They just saved Henley. Now they're off to Avalon. And it's like, oh, no. Okay, let's let's figure something out. And I believe this was like a quick recording, too, because it was like we recorded 12 and 13. And then like two weeks later, we were going to record 14, 15 and 16. So that was a quick. I had to think of something to keep them entertained. Well, I had already planted seeds that something was going on in Glendale. And so I was trying to think of, okay, what could be going on in Glendale? And of course, I thought about owlbear. Owlbears, I just love owlbears. They're fun creatures to throw at your players that is, you know, not just a normal animal. It acts like a normal animal, but it's still fantasy fantastical (laughs) I guess would be a a word to use so it's just a different um, animal to throw at them and they haven't ran into one yet and so I was playing with that idea but what else could be going on there they did mention that they wanted to possibly get some horses you know rest up so I was thinking of little side quests to for them to get the the horses And I thought of several different ways for them to achieve that goal. I do believe that um, I always try, whenever they have some kind of objective and stuff, is give them multiple options. And of course, they'll come up with their own options as well. That's just how five different minds works against one. They'll come up with a lot more options than I will. And so I had to try and think about, okay, I want to make sure that they have options So I try, every time I come up with something, I try and give them at least two to three options on how to succeed that, plus whatever options they come up with. And so that's why, um, for the horses things, they had a few options. They could just buy one, they could serve Elden, or they could get do this little side quest to find the owlbear. But we'll get into that more once we get to those. So I had had those things planned out. Um, I had to flush out a little bit about Henley's family as well, because <laughs> it's like, we're going to Henley's town, we're gonna f- meet her family. So I had to come up with different things about that and talking to Abby and it's like, well, what does your mom do to kind of make a living since she's a single mom with three kids at home, two younger ones and an older one. So how, how do we adjust that, right? And so I talked to her about it planning with her on how her little brothers are and of course coming up with my own little twist about the scarecrow as we'll get into when we get there but I think that was pretty much my idea to plan I wanted a lot of um, interaction with the people with like role-playing getting to know people around the hall not the hollow (laughs) around Glendale and getting the idea of just a little wholesome town, which I think came off pretty well. Everybody knows everybody. A lot of people recognized Henley. 
And yeah, I think we'll go ahead and get into the how everything was executed because yeah, it's like just like the past, I don't know, almost 10 episodes. I feel like listening from almost like 7 to to now in in 13, 14, 15 that things just get derailed so often that a lot of my plans just get thrown out the window. And 17, 14, 15, 16, there, it's the same thing. I have something planned. It should go according to plan, and things go totally left. I think there was only a few spots in 14 that was like, okay, we're going according to plan, according to plan, according to plan. And then, uh-oh, I'm in unknown territory here. I have, this is all improv, and we'll get to those here in just a second as well. So, let's go ahead and start with chapter 14 at the beginning. And I really enjoyed um, Quill and Solemn's little interaction there. The main reason be for Solomon Quill's little interaction here is doing a brief summary of what's going on in the world. And I need to do more of these because when people ask us about our podcast and stuff, sometimes it's a little overwhelming to be like, Oh, you have how many episodes? Ah, oh, where do I start? You know? And the best way is start at the beginning, but giving them an opportunity to be like, Hey, if you want to check it out, a good starting spot would be here. And so I know I need to do more recaps like that of Solemn or Quill giving a brief, brief recap of, you know, the whole story, kind of remind people of what's going on. A lot of TV shows do this of recently on, you know, Supernatural, we'll say, because I've been watching Supernatural recently, <laughs> that they'll remind you of certain characters, they'll remind you of certain things, and maybe I need to start doing that a little bit more to bring things back to people's attention. And I really liked... um Throwing in there that solemn, he does in a mingle with the player sometimes. Sometimes you know it, sometimes you don't. But I liked that idea that Solemn is always in the picture, but nobody realizes he's in the picture. You know, if it was some TV show, you would always see some character in disguise doing something in the background and they're solemn, or they come up and talk to the players, give them certain information, and then disappear. I really like that idea, and that's how I kind of thought Solemn would be. Okay, so let's get into kind of the first act. So with Boudreaux's little vision that he has, I wanted my goal with this vision. I wrote it to kind of explain why Boudreaux was able to save Henley and kind of give a reason why she was saved and not just because, oops, Dave made a mistake and accidentally killed her because he made the bug too powerful when the bug shouldn't have been that powerful. Giving it an actual reason. And giving all the other players that option to do the same thing Henley did. If they decide to let their character die, great. But if they decide to give it one extra life, they can as well. And so that's the reason why we had the vision. And also to kind of give a warning of some kind that there is darkness coming there is a big shadow coming 
and to prepare, and that many people will be on the same quest to help, but very few are going to be called to actually face it. Fewer, many are called, but few are chosen that, that idea. Many are called to help in the, in the action, but only a few will be called, will be chosen to take on the future darkness, the shadow, as I said, as the vision told him. So then we get into Glendale, and people and the players decide to go talk to the minister, Veronica Bells. Veronica, I came up with this character of being a kind of a noble person. She comes from Dengal, and she's been in the political realm her whole life, pretty much. Her parents were well-known nobles in Dengal, but she decided to move away because she met Lionel. And they fell in love, and her parents weren't thrilled about it. And so she's like, well, I'm just going to leave. And Lionel is from these parts. He's not necessarily from Glendale themselves, but that's where they decided to stay. And Glendale kind of needed that guidance, that leadership, and Veronica stepped up, and she was able to do it. And she's very well respected there. Her husband, <laughs> Lionel, as as the players get to know them and stuff, Lionel is respected because of Veronica. People really respect Veronica, but not necessarily her husband because he is very rude sometimes, very straightforward, very strong-headed. And when certain things don't happen, he gets frustrated. Like He's, he's a bully, pretty much. He has that kind of attitude with him. And so that's how I want to present it. To that, but not have him unapproachable was the other thing with Lionel as well. And so we get into Veronica offering, you know, she learns that the group need horses. And she's like, well, maybe we can strike a deal. We'll get you horses if you solve this problem for us. And this is where I was talking about earlier of the side quests, giving them several options to accomplish their goal of getting horses. With side quests, though, I am a true believer that sometimes you can have side quests that are just for fun. Just those fun, random adventures, random encounters that are just like, well, that was weird, and then move on, right? But I feel like in a podcast, that's a little harder to do because we're here to tell a story. We're here to keep the audiences entertained and keep the it moving forward and I feel a lot of times because I've listened to other podcasts that have like super random side quests that really don't do anything they just take up three or four episodes and then they're back in the main story though fun episodes I feel it detracts from the purpose of that podcast and maybe that's their purpose is just be funny and entertaining and that's great good for them they're making it work I just don't feel that's something that I can do slash where I want to go. Do I want to have fun? Do I want to have the random kookiness? Yeah, those are always fun and entertaining. But making the side quests important to, or making it relevant, I guess would be the correct word. Making a side quest relevant. So yeah, they go on this side quest, but they find out more important information. So that was one thing that I was thinking about with Glendale. K, this is a side quest. 
we're going to Henley's place and they're going to go take down this owlbear. What important information could they receive or could they hear or what can I hint about what's going on down in the south? Because right now, all the hubbub's going on in the north with the Trigrovin and, and the refugees and stuff. A lot of it's going on up there. But what about the south? Is there anything going on with the south? And so that's where I came up with the idea of, okay, why is this owlbear here? Well, that's because the elves aren't doing their job. Why aren't they doing their job? Who knows? That's the mystery. The wood, the wood elves down there have been very good at keeping these kind of creatures away from Glendale so Glendale can prosper. Therefore, the wood elves can prosper with the stuff that Glendale's able to give them, right? There was a symbiotic relationship between the two. But something's gone wrong with the wood elves. But what? And so I dove in those little hints of like, oh, and mention it several times too. That was one thing that I remember learning in some of my D&D DM uh, podcasts, advice podcasts, there we go, that you need to drop hints three or four times to your players because a lot of times they won't hear it the first time. They'll understand it the second time, but the third time they're like, okay, this is a hint. We need to pay attention to this if you want them to focus on certain information. And so I did that several times. I'm like, the wood elves are supposed to be protecting us, and they're not. Lionel gets into it later on. of just like, who knows what they're doing? They're not doing their job. And he gets a little disgruntled about them. And so that's how I wanted the side quest to go. Could they have just gone up to Elden, bought the horses, and left? Absolutely. They would have missed that important information, Because I want, as I said, I want every side quest to be relevant to the story. Sure, this side quest seems really random, but look at the information you found out that helps you with the main quest, with the main story. And that's how I've always tried to do my side quests. As As we continue learning on, I'll try and pinpoint those out. Well, the group discuss on whether they want to go track down this owlbear. Oh, before I get to that, though, I just I just remembered I loved Fenrir's attitude in this, not attitude, his uh, his uh, excitement, because he's like, this is another little uh, turning point for for Fenrir here that in my mind, because he just went on this crazy adventure to go save Henley, went down into the underground, killed an Ankeg, and this is his first time big adventure something meaningful meaningful something that he's been looking for a story to be a part of and he was just a part of a story about saving henley and he was so ambitious and so excited to tell people about it like like hello i'm a bard let me tell you a story veronica's like "Eh, maybe not now and then lionel comes and he's like oh hey i got a story to tell and he's like no i'm not interested but i loved that enthusiasm that Zeb put into Fenrir of like, hey, I just got part of the story. Whether Zeb himself was thinking about that when I was listening to it, that's what came into my mind. It's like, ooh, Fenrir just got his first story. And look how excited he is. He's got that ambition to continue on with the players now. Back in episode 11, he was sitting on top of the hole and being like, 
is this really my story? Am, am I going to lose something here? Is it worth going down there? And now he's sitting here going, yes, that was worth it. Because look, I got a story. And guess what? I was there. I was a part of that story. Let me tell you about it. I just loved that that enthusiasm that he gave in the in that moment. And then, of course, during that meeting, who can forget um, Boudreau being ta- talking about the were creatures? <laughs> Elsie's so so random with her comments and stuff that a lot of times she forgets that she says says certain things, and this was one of them. The they're called where because you don't know where the human went when she's talking about the, the scarecrows. Another thing that I thought was interesting, which if I was on top of it more, is when she started, when Boudreaux started being like, hey, do you have any silver? Do you have any silver? And Lionel being like, why do you need silver? Are you here to rob us? Is money is what you want? You know, if I was a little click quicker about it, I should have thrown that in there. But I did enjoy the party trying to explain what these were creatures were and stuff. That was another side thing I wanted to mention. Because it was the first time that they've had to explain it to somebody about were creatures. They did explain a little bit to the guard on the plains next to Gibson Well. But this is the first time they're like, hey, this might be an issue because it kind of sounds like that. And Lionel being like, well, I have nothing to compare it to. Dire, dire creatures? Like, I've ran into them. Uh, yes and no, the party says. So I really liked those little seed planting things too. That the the rumors that kind of the party is starting to do with these were creatures. I really enjoyed that. Okay, so now we're back outside. After that little jaunt, we're back outside with the group. They're discussing on what their best options is. They decide that Lila, well, Lila and Roscoe are like. We can't spend a lot of time here. We have a whole other city, whole other town that's depending on us. So we we can't stay here. But we'll stay here for one night, see if we can find anything. But that's it. Sorry, Henley. And I really liked Henley being like, ah, I really want to help, but I, I completely understand. So they decide that Fenrir and Henley going to go talk to Eldon. While Roscoe, Lila, and Boudreaux kind of scout things out down here. So we'll go ahead and start with Roscoe and them here. Because <laughs> in chapter 15, we'll get to Henley and Fenrir. So Roscoe wanted to talk to kind of the townspeople about this. So he runs into this old man. And of course, this is a random person. I had no idea. <laughs> Didn't have a name for him or anything. He's just like, I just want to talk to somebody. Okay. Well, here's this old man. Talk to him. <laughs> and that was a fun conversation. And I wanted him to, the old man, just to be just an airhead, right? As I was playing him and just being super friendly, but not really, not a lot of information coming from him. Just wanted to get to know people. And I also wanted to start throwing out there that Lila's character, or. Becky's character, Lila Garatha, they don't look like everybody else. So people would stare. People would question her. Be like, yeah, what are you? You know, we've had a little bit of that so far. But I wanted to make that more prevalent. That she, that her character does not look like any other creature they've seen. You know? 
So I wanted to throw that out there and just have a little fun with Roscoe of this old man talking. I really enjoyed that scene. Um, and then we go to Boudreaux. Boudreaux, like, this is kind of where the story starts getting into the improv <laughs> side of things. Because I didn't expect them to, I should have expected them. But I didn't make notes about it, about them talking to townsfolk and stuff about uh, the were creature and what's going on. Should have, didn't. So I had to make up a lot of this on the go. And I didn't expect people to visit the potion place either, which Boudreaux does. And I really enjoyed um, Boudreaux's interaction with her. And it was also a good look into uh, kind of Boudreaux's thoughts. Because I had him um, roll a medicine check to see if he could see what kind of herbalisms or herbs were there. What was the lady making that was sitting out on the table? And if if Boudreaux would recognize some of them. And by chance, she... Boudreaux rolled a one and it was just like, and I loved Elsie's explanation of it too. It's just like, well, his thoughts are on something else. He's thinking about that vision he had. What kind of, you know, I'm nobody important. I don't think, you know, but what great purpose do I have? Like, I, I don't know. And then the whole the thing with the old lady was was great. Trying to play off of Elsie, I love playing off of Elsie. It's one of my funnest things to do because me and her just have really good chemistry on on improving back and forth, and so it was really enjoyable with the old lady, and also giving um, opportunities and showing that there's different kind of potions out there, not just your normal D and D potions, and it's okay to tamper with them sometimes, like the health potion making a 1d4 instead of a 2d4 dice roll for the health potions and making them cheaper as well because sometimes potions potions can get really expensive health potions can i mean and according to the book it's 50 gold pieces and that's quite a bit quite a bit and then it jumps up to like 100 200 you know they they get pretty expensive the bigger health potions get but giving them options for smaller ones right i think i sold them for like 15 silver pieces i believe okay so that wraps up chapter 14 so now we get into 15 and now i'm kind of like hey we're back on track here's <laughs> back with my notes with henley and fenrir they go up there talk to eldon who's the rancher with horses and he's getting ready to sell, go up to Avalon, getting them on the right track again, heading up to Avalon to sell some of his horses and giving them that option, another option. It's either you can buy my horses or you can earn your horses by helping escort my herd up to Avalon to sell. So now they had that option. And so they're like, okay, well, let's go discuss. They they kind of agreed. <laughs> At least in Elden's, eye, Elden's eyes, they agreed to go help bring the horses up to Avalon. Which I, I remember Zeb's face when he's like, all right, consider yourself hired. And at Fender's face is like, oh, oh wait, we, okay. <laughs> but uh, then Fenrir decides, then Elden mentions something about Henley's mom. About thanks for, thank her for the good clothes that she made. And then Fenrir, I t sometimes Zeb does random things. Like, we all agree in our group that 
Fenrir is the chaotic one. You never know what's going to happen or what Fenrir is going to do. Everybody has this moment, right? Boudreaux definitely has. Lila Garatha has. Everybody has their moments of, well, that was random, but it makes sense. But Fenrir is definitely, Zeb's definitely the one that's just like, what are you going to do now? <laughs> and this is one of those moments. He walks up to Eldon and be like, hey, do you have a thing for Henley's mom? And that took me off guard. I was like, excuse me? <laughs> that was a really fun. You have to go back and listen to it because just the awkwardness of Zeb being like, oh, I just I just put my foot in my mouth. Um, I'm going. <laughs> so that was a fun interaction. Another thing you just got to stay on your tippy toes with your players as you're DMing them. So we're back together. The, the Lila Garatha, they have kind of accepted the the role. They went and talked to Lionel. Lionel's like, hey, we can go talk talk to other farmers. I'll come with you. And we get the group back together, and they start heading to the Clintons. So they head to the Clintons, and they start investigating the, the area, getting asking questions to the Clintons and stuff. And Roscoe, uh, everybody rolls their investigation checks and gets certain information, and they find out that it's an owlbear because of the tracks and because of the evidence that they found. And they learn a little bit more about that. And good for Roscoe, for Evan, for rolling a natural 20. Because if he wouldn't have been able to roll that natural 20 to find that little Rowan berry, it probably would have been another episode or two before they found the owlbear trying to investigate, trying to look to where it's at. It gave him that edge because I was kind of planning on that owlbear doing kind of a surprise sneak attack on them if they were out there adventuring and looking around. But because Roscoe was able to find that, it actually cut a lot of that planning out, which was like, okay, that's fine. Because it got right to the point of where the owlbear was. But I did have stuff planned of like, okay, here's several survival checks. Here's some perception checks. Here's some investigation checks. Do you hear this? Do you hear that? And having that owlbear attack. But they were able to get the surprise on the owlbear. So let's get to the owlbear part. This battle throwing it in there so we could keep I like to throw in battles every now and then even though I struggle with battles as I've mentioned before I know my players love it I, my players love the battles that's one big thing about D&D is the fighting and I throw it to them to keep them entertained <laughs> and this one was was pretty straightforward you guys versus the owlbear go and it's never it ceases to surprise me how well the dice roll with certain characters. For Lionel, for instance, him rolling so low on stealth was, you know, just perfect because he is that barbarian. He is that, I. he's kind of bloodthirsty. He's one of those big, mighty hunters, right? He's He loves hunting. He loves the chase. And so his sneak attack, his sneaking 
definitely resembled that. He's like, I just want to go in there and beat it. I just want to go in there and cut its head off, you know, that kind of mentality, that kind of thinking. And, uh, oh, I do really like the conversation that Roscoe and Fenrir had. I believe it was Fenrir who brought it up to Roscoe. He'd be like, hey, we were talking about these were-creatures. Do you think Lionel is one? That he's the were-bear creature? And we just don't know it? Like, when him and Ro- when Fenrir and Roscoe were talking about that, there was a thing in my head that I was like, ooh, that's a good idea. Maybe I should pull that trigger. Maybe I should make him the owl bear. You know, that he's just a werebear, but people think that he's, that they thought he was an owlbear, you know? But I decided not to, because I didn't, it would have been a f- really cool experience, but then it would have raised a lot more questions later. Well, how come nobody else thought of this? How come this, that, and the other? Plus, it would interfere with what's going on in the South, the reason why this owlbear was here is because something's going on with the elves and they can't def- keep those kind of creatures away from the the Glendale, you know. That would interrupt that storyline. And so that's why I didn't pull the trigger on this. But I still played with them. I still teased him about it. And the dice rolls just went perfectly with it. Him being very aggressive, him being bloodthirsty and stuff it's kind of little symbols of a were creature but it's just lionel so i really liked that little tidbit and you got to listen to your players because a lot of times they do come up with some good ideas but be careful on which ones you choose because it can affect your story down the line and this was one of those times that i did not pull that trigger okay so they defeat the owlbear the owlbear's down but unfortunately the owlbear took out lionel well, this is a hiccup, right? Not only did I did not expect them to go at night to get the owlbear, um, because Roscoe found that where that Rowanberry and Lionel was like, hey, let's go get it right now. I know exactly where it's at. That, that excitement didn't expect the players to just agree with that up front. And it ends up costing Lionel's life. So a little uh, thing that I, it got cut out of the podcast out of the ending recording. But the reason why Lionel died is because the bug, the owlbear got a crit critical hit on him, got a natural 20 on him on one of his, on the owlbear's most devastating attack. I think it was his claw attack. And it's like, Oh, I, I'm not even going to say it because I'm going to get it wrong. Cause I can't remember, but it was a huge hit to him. I think it ended up being, I think I ended up getting max damage on him and you know, just throwing a number out there. I think it was like 30 HP, like 30 damage to Lionel, which was huge. It would have taken out any of my players, but Lionel was the most HP. And fortunately for the players, Lionel's the one that, that got hit the hardest. And it was kind of devastating for the group. It was kind of devastating to me. It's just like, oh, I really like Lionel. Uh, he's dead. you know and I really enjoyed how the players reacted to that here they come from a town you know that trying to rescue Hayden's Hollow to have the skirmishes that they've had seeing death 
from the hollow people from the hollow and then going on the plains henley almost dying going here and having lionel die it's just been one kind of bad move after another after another it feels like especially when fenrir just boosted hey attack attack giving him that bardic inspiration to lionel to be like finish off the beast and then the very next turn the beast finishes off lionel you know that's that's devastating and fenrir later on mentions that he fenrir kind of feels guilty for that he he feels like he pushed lionel to die which is an interesting i mean a lot of sur- the survivor's guilt and I feel like a lot of that was here, that survival's guilt. So they take care of Lionel's body. They bring it back to Veronica. And this is the start of chapter 16. And now we're getting into the pure improv <laughs> in chapter 16 of I. Th- none of this was planned. Chapter 16 was all improv. Some of the stuff was in my notes, like with Henley's family. But... None of this other stuff. Like, how do you approach or even play a widow now? Like, you just went out with her husband that she didn't even know you guys were going to go attack the owlbear. She thought you were just getting information. And you come back and be like, hey, we found the owlbear. We killed the owlbear. But your husband's dead. You know, how do you do that? How do you even play a character like that? And I... Kudos for for Zeb to step up and being the one to do that. I honestly thought it was going to be like Roscoe or Lila that goes in and and talks to Veronica about it to tell her. But it was Boudreaux and Fenrir who went in and talked to, to Veronica about it. And I think Fenrir did such a good job about breaking the news. Like it's, it's one (laughs) chapter 16, actually these four episodes. Okay. Mainly in 14 when he wants to share his stories and 16. I, in in preparing this deep dive, I wrote in my notes, um, Fenrir's bard is showing (laughs) that you start seeing that bardic tendencies that, that performers have that entertainers have to be able to capture an audience, whether it's sad or happy news or just entertainment that he wants to tell a story, but he's also very elegant about telling certain things too. And I think Fenner does a very good job here about being gentle, about being compassionate and mourning with those who are mourning. You know, Veronica is, me and Zeb were talking about this the other day. Um, I think it was during our mailbag about when we were talking about when, when have we cried during the podcast? And he's like, yeah, that was, this is what, this is the moment that almost got me to tears was me saying, yeah, your husband's dead. And Veronica just sitting there. No, no, no. Kind of like in her head, like, don't tell me this. Don't, don't, don't. Because in Veronica's head, is she's kind of left everything behind for him. She didn't have to. She chose to. 
she chose to be like, you know what? I love this man. And instead of having my parents always rag on him about who he is or listen to my parents about you could, you should done, you should have done better. I'm just going to leave with this man and go make a life together. And she did. And now that man's dead. Like her whole world is, she's in unfamiliar country. She's never really been down this South. And now that person's gone. Like, and trying to play her as, you know, very noble, trying to hold her composure because that's kind of how she was brought up to be. You don't let your emotions show in her as she grew up to be a politician and to be a leader. It's like you don't let your emotions show and her trying to hold those back. How hard that was to hold those back for her. And I tried to emulate that through the constant her clearing her throat, her trying to keep the tears back, and then moving on with it. And then eventually, and I really, (laughs) Boudreaux, we've had somebody, I forget who said it. It was in some fan email or something like that, that people really enjoyed Boudreaux. Or maybe it was one of the players. I, I don't recall who said this. But a lot of people are think some people are thinking that Boudreaux, though he acts, you know, aloof and and uh, kind of kooky, the kooky swamp bowl, swamp dwarf, that he's actually a very wise creature. He's very the the scene that pops into my head is when Luke Skywalker first meets Yoda. Yoda plays that crazy hermit type character oh teach you i will i'll show you where yoda is Hmm? you know yoda you seek yoda you know (laughs) that kind of creature and then later on you find out that he is yoda that he is the wise one that he is the the master of the jedi a lot of people think that's boudreaux and i think one evidence you could point towards that is this line that he says It's like, you're going to go through this door and you're going to see Lionel dead. But one day, you will walk through a door and you will see him just as he was. Just as you remember him. It's like, wow. What a line. That was a beautiful, beautiful line. You know, I we got to remember that. Like, a lot of times we see doors open, we see doors close. And we fear on, especially when we're trying to open a door, we're sometimes we're scared about what is on the other side of the door. But just to remember that this is all for our experience. This is all for our growth. And yeah, it's hard to open that door or even see it close, right? You have to close that door on a chapter of life. But I, the one thing that I liked about this scene, okay, let's set up the scene here. You had Boudreaux and Fenrir in with Veronica on this side of the door, right? Telling her, hey, you know, this terrible thing has happened. We're here to support you. And then on the other side of the door, where her worst fear is, there's three more supporters. There's three more people out there on the other side. What a great symbolism that is. 
that even through life, like on one side of the door, you have your supporters to walk through. But once you walk through that door, you still have supporters over there too. So Matt, no matter what side of the door you're on, you're going to have friends, you're going to have family, you're going to have loved ones that are there to support you and love you. I just love that symbolism that because of Boudreaux's um, quote there, that it covers both sides. So let's try and remember that as we go through life, as we open doors and close doors and walk through them. We have supporters on both sides. Let's not forget that. Okay, well, they get the body inside and they leave Veronica alone and they just start healing her, hearing her wail that now she's alone. Now she's, she can't take it anymore and she just crumbles and she cries herself to sleep. And I love the interaction, the reactions that the players had. Letting that moment happen and not try and fix it, if that makes sense. A lot of times when we see people grieve and stuff, it's always like, oh, it's fine. You'll, you'll be fine. You know, it's sad that you'll, but, but you're strong. You'll be fine. There was none of that. They let her grieve, which I really appreciated the, the players doing. Yeah, they, they offered their support and their condolences. But sometimes people just need to grieve and not have people tell them, oh, you'll be fine. A lot of people know they'll be fine, but they're just like, let me have this moment, please. Let me grieve. And my players did such a great job of letting her grieve because that definitely helped her <laughs> later on when she had to confront the townsfolk about it. But anyways, uh, we're moving on with the morning. You know, everybody starts getting up and, of course, the townsfolk have stuff to tell Veronica, you know, the daily business but the players are stopping the townsfolk for going in. <laughs> Here's these strangers saying, no, you can't talk to Veronica. Well, why? And there's that content, that confliction there right now. And that was kind of a difficult thing to play on because like the players start trying to get in or the, sorry, the townsfolk trying to get in, but the players are like, no. And what would the townsfolk think? You know, they, they can't really do much. They're not fighters. They can kind of tell that these people are a little more, like the players are a little more battle ready because of their weapons that are sitting by their hands. And then, of course, Fenrir gets mad, come back tomorrow. Like, it's it's a little intimidating for some, some commoners. And so they decide to just, the townsfolk decide to just hang back and just sit for a minute. And so Fenrir... He's jotting down notes. He's jotting down um, a, 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 a ballad that he promised to write. And we'll get to that in a second. So I think we'll jump over to Henley going home. And I had some things planned for the group when they got there. Because one thing I forgot to mention about the old man, he's like, oh, avoid the the Thornton place. The, the children there are menaces. Yeah, just just avoid that place. And I did have some like little tricks that the that would happen as the players went in there to do, but I decided to not do them because it wasn't the right mood or the time to do it. And so we talked to Henley's mom. Henley 
you know, I, Abby's told me several times that this scene is probably one of her favorite scenes is with Henley and her mom. Because at first, what I, how I pla- planned it is mom was going to be happy, get to know all the players, and be like, oh, thank you for saving my daughter, you know. Just, a, just kind of a more joyous occasion. But then Henley comes in, and she's like, oh, Henley, hi, you're home. Why didn't you tell me? And then Henley just crying and be like, how does a mother feel? Like you haven't seen your child in forever. And the first time you see him, you know, you open that door, you're surprised they're there and you're like, oh, hey, I love you. Like, come in. I'm so happy to see you. And they don't even say hi. They just start crying. Like that was a moment for me because I have two daughters. I couldn't imagine, you know, not seeing them for a couple years or a year at least, you know, not, not a word from them. And then they show up on my doorstep. I open it and be like, oh, finally I get to see you. And then they start crying and fall into your arms. Like trying to get that in my head, like was, was a difficult thing. And then that conversation that they had, Henley being so distraught, right? That she's like, I can't help anybody. I can't do it. I'm, I'm failing my father. I'm failing his legacy. I mean, one of his, one of the things that they had in the middle of town was to Hagen Thornton, hero of Glendale. And then all this happens. She, she, Henley feels like she's nothing. I mean, she's already struggling with depression and PTSD from the fort and her guilt that she feels there and now Lionel's gone who has been a a big protector here and like knowing what Veronica's going through to lose somebody that she looked up to like Henley is distraught she's like I'm failing my father he'd be so disappointed in me and then just thinking about it, you know, as as Henley's mom, trying to think of what she would say. And Abby said one of the greatest lines that I said in this moment was like, Henley, you're not him. You're not your father. Quit comparing yourself to that man. Yes, that man taught you everything you needed to know. He taught you to be compassionate. He taught you to stand up for those who can't stand for themselves, that can't protect themselves. But you're not him. You got to find out a way how to do it yourself. You know, and giving Henley that counsel. Abby's mentioned to me, she's like, that's exactly what Henley needed to hear. That... Yeah, it is. It can be a little harsh. Mom was very direct with Henley. But letting her child know that, you know, I don't expect you to be your father. I don't expect you to be perfect. But I'll love you anyways. Whether you continue on with your friends, on your little adventure, or you stay home. I don't care. I'll love you anyways. You choose what you want to do, and I'll support you. My advice is that you continue adventuring. 
my advice is to continue, you know, your dad's legacy that way. Helping those that need help. Being there for those who need need you. Or stay home. Because I can definitely use you here too. Either way, I love you and I support you. And I really liked that. You know, listening back to it. And I advise anybody to go listen to those. I mean, it, it kind of gave me encouragement <laughs> from the th- certain things that are going on in my life right now. It's just like, oh yeah, I, I, I need to be my own person. It's just amazing to me. I mean, this, these four, ep- these three episodes, 14, 15, and 16, I've kind of talked, you know, been a little more serious about these and the experiences, but I think that's one thing that D&D or even TTRPGs in general teach people and show people that it it is a game, but it's more than a game. Like you get to experience different feelings. You get to experience different thoughts and stuff that in real life, it's hard to deal or feel some of those things because we had, we're just so bombarded with different things going on with life in general that D&D actually lets you experience some things that life you wouldn't be able to. So I I really enjoyed these two more serious scenes, Henley and her mom, and talking about Henley's weaknesses and failings and her self-worthlessness, <laughs> if, if that's a word, her feeling so worthless. And then, of course, with Veronica and how the groups dealt with that. Like being able to learn that sometimes just letting people grieve, letting people vent is a good thing and just listen. And then when the time is to give that advice and to be straightforward with it, because mom could have definitely bounced around. Oh, no, you're fine. You're fine. Your father would love you. You know, you're you're doing a great job. But that wasn't what Henley needed to hear. She needed to hear. You're not your father. You're not. So stop comparing yourself to him. He taught you certain things so you could be your own person. You're not a follower. You're a leader, Henley. Step up. But I love you and no matter what decision you make. And this transitions us to when Henley goes and talks to her brother. On the encouragement of her mom, like, hey, before you make a decision, Rowan has made something for you. Maybe go talk to him and see if that can help you decide on what to choose, on what to do. So Henley heads off and goes, talks to her brother. And I really liked this scene of Henley telling her brother, hey, yeah, we just killed an owlbear. Oh, cool. You know, just like dad would have. And then he kind of hearing the sad stuff of it, of like, oh, you know, Lionel's dead and feeling that sorrowness for for that. But then him kind of changing the subject of, hey, Henley, come see what I made for you. And they go back home and they may, and this is where you see that Rowan had made Henley a bow. You see that Rowan is now taking the footsteps of, of the dad, of the father. And I really liked this, this dynamic between Henley and Rowan, where Henley took off more of the ranger side of dad, the adventuring side of dad where Rowan took off more of the craftsmanship of dad. As the conversation goes on and you hear 
further on in the podcast that Rowan more focused, didn't really like the crafting and stuff as a kid. But once dad was gone, he kind of, that was one way he could connect with dad, that he could be a part of dad's legacy is becoming a bowman, becoming a craftsman of bows. And kind of his first big project was to make kind of a copy of dad's bow. Mom didn't want Henley to have the bow because that's something that is dear to to her. You know, she didn't want to give that up, but she did allow Rowan to to copy it. And he copied it meticulously. He copied it slow and steady and he <laughs> tried several different versions of it until he was satisfied that that's the closest that he's ever going to get. And he actually did a very very good job as explained in the in the podcast like it's almost identical to it and i really enjoyed that scene seeing two of these kids following the path of their father though different paths it's one way that they can connect with their father talking to abby's friends that had lost their their dads that was one thing that they did too they kind of enjoyed doing the things that their dads enjoyed that you know when they were alive they didn't necessarily enjoy but they were able to find that connection with their dad that now they enjoy doing certain hobbies that their dads did or doing something like that so that was one motivation I had to do this with Rowan's character and then here comes Rowan's little surprise that I did for Abby because Abby was talking about how she wanted her family to be and stuff. And I was just like, well, if Rowan is going to be follow the carpenter side of things of woodworking, maybe he wants to go adventure. Maybe he wants to be a part of people's adventures, adventures by them using the weapon. And so he's like, I need to go get trained. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good. But if I want to make a name for myself, I need to go train with the masters I need to get somebody to train me. And ta-da, I don't have to be here to protect mom because look what I bought. A scarecrow. And this is what the scarecrow does. This is my first little hint towards the scarecrows. That something's going on with the scarecrows. As I said earlier about the side quest stuff, making them relevant, making them important. This is one, another little tidbit, another little hint that I threw in there. Since you're on a little side quest... These scarecrows are important later. This is the first time I ever mention a scarecrow, and it plants the seeds for future stories, making a sky, making this side quest more relevant, more important to the story without saying, hey guys, this is important. And I really enjoyed the conversation that um, Henley and him had. I'd, I kind of struggled with this conversation because <laughs> me... As a person, I'm very pacifist. I'm not conflictive. I'm not a person of, um, I'm not argumentative. And so trying to play a character that could be more argumentative is hard for me. There was a, this kind of conversation that I wanted to have was, was him being more, Henley, you left us. You left us to go continue your thing. I had to stay back and take care of everything. 
And now I'm trying to fix things, trying to be the adult here. Mom's protected. Everybody in the village loves mom, so they'll help. Now it's my turn to go. You left around my same age. But dad was alive then. And then when dad died, you came back for a little bit, but then you left again. Like, what's what's the deal? Why can't I have that opportunity? I want that opportunity too. Don't take this from me. That's the conversation I wanted to have. But the conversation flowed very similar, but not as, a, not as aggressive or angry as I wanted it to be. And I feel that was kind of a, a, a missed opportunity to give Henley a little irker, a little bit, you know, a little bit, trying to flush that out, getting that sibling rivalry in there. I feel that was a missed opportunity, but in the end, once he explained his reasoning, he's like, hey, I'm almost out of age to be an apprentice, you know, help me do this. And she was able to agree to do that. This conversation was very helpful, and it also really helps in the future um, to set up some other little special things. Just a little hint, just because you're Ko-Fi members, the bow will be important later. Now we get on to, I believe we hit, oh, it's Garatha's scene. <laughs> so getting on to a, a little more funny thing. So um, Garatha approaches Veronica and says, hey, so sorry your husband's dead, you know. <laughs> but um, I did keep the head, which is something that your your husband would want. Do you want it or what do you want me to do with it? And Veronica tells her, you know, I don't want that thing in my house. You you take it. I, I don't want it. And so Lila, or sorry, Garatha decides, okay, well, I'll go take care of it the traditional way that my, my people taught me, the orcs. That if they're slain by a beast, you take the fallen warrior and burn it with the, with the beast that slayed him. And they continue their battle afterlife, which I thought was such an interesting thought. I really liked that that thing, and definitely, it's definitely going into the orc culture that I have. That that was a really brilliant idea that Becky had. And so she gets to drag this head through town. <laughs> I did have the thought of having some of the townsfolk confront her about it right hey what are you doing with this head sorry not head what are you doing with this bloody bag that you're dragging on the ground that you're carrying through town i did have the thought of confronting lila garatha about that but at the same time i feel like it would have distracted from the moment that we were having throughout you know the the moment of lionel's death it kind of would have distracted it it may have caused more problems than it would push the story. So I decided not to pull that trigger. Listening to it, I think it could have fed into the story. You know, they find the bag, they take it from her, they open it up. It's an owlbear head. Where'd this owlbear head come from? Hey, guess what? Lionel died because he fought this. And now I'm going to go take care of it. Get out of my way. That could have been an interesting storyline too. Oh, I just let Garathe go take care of it. So she burned the head, and then we come back, and Veronica, the Fenver moment here. Fenver's had a lot of good moments here recently. 
another Fenrir moment of he stands up and he goes, you know, Veronica's starting to have a hard time talking. And here comes Fenrir to the rescue. Ballad. So here, there it is. He kind of comes to Veronica's rescue there to help and tells the people, yeah, tonight we'll have the funeral. I remember getting ready to record this, and I think it was earlier in the episode, and this part was cut out. Yeah, around this time when we started getting ready for the funeral, Zeb did tell me, hey, I, I got something. Can you Can I have a moment? And I was like, oh, yeah, sure. And so that's when I turned it over to him. It's like, oh, yeah, and Fenrir steps up, and here we go. What, what do you got for us, Fenrir? And he gives that beautiful kind of eulogy, that uh, that little song of, hey, Fenrir, your bard is showing. <laughs> you know, it's just a great moment from Fenrir, from Zeb. Him stepping up it and being that bard, that bard character. Bard. I never thought that he could play a bard so well. And he's doing such a fantastic job in it. Stepping up and playing a character, playing it out of the park. Like, he's done such a fantastic job. And these three episodes, the past two, I guess we'll go... No, three, all three. 14, 15, and 16. He has so many great... It's amazing. He's doing such a fantastic job at being this character that Zeb is not, you know, Zeb's not charismatic. He's not out there and super talkative, but here's Fenrir stepping up and being that center of attention. Henley's highlight, which she has very, so a lot of highlights, but this has definitely been the Fenrir thinking, reading, listening back to this, like, yeah, it, Henley's there. She's kind of the side story arc right now. But it's definitely, these three have definitely been a more Fenrir story arc. Seeing him change and seeing him grow, that it's been really interesting. Well, that's where we ended off. And we're here on Ko-Fi. We hope you guys en have enjoyed these deep dives. Let me know if you've enjoyed them, for those who have listened. Um, and see if I need to change them up or if you have any suggestions on what more you want to hear from the deep dives i'd really appreciate that uh, don't forget to rate and review us and keep sharing us with your friends and family um, we thank you guys' support so much you make the this possible and make it easier to do with uh, your support here on ko-fi um, next time we'll be on chapters 17 and 18 for the deep dive as we go into heading to avalon Okay, well, join us here next time as we take a dive into the deep end. Bye!